Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you here in George Pass. Thank you, Jamie, for your warm words of welcome. Jamie was third year college whenever I started, and it's hard to believe that now uh, I'm almost eligible for call. Come September, time passes by so quickly. I'm from Portadown, just between Portadown and Lagall. I attended a little church called Vinnie Cash Presbyterian, that was my home, and now I'm serving as the assistant in Hill Street in Lurgan. And it is a real joy to be with you today, especially on a day where new members are coming into membership here in this church family. What a wonderful day. Great day of rejoicing, a great day to, of encouragement for you all to see the church family growing here in this place. Well, I invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Philippians, and the Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to think today about joy. Where can joy be found? And this letter is often known as the letter of joy. And we're going to think a little bit about why that is. How can Paul talk about joy here in Philippians? So Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 1 through to verse 11 this morning, or this afternoon, sorry. And this is God's word to us, and we know that we can trust it completely. So Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel, from this day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, and so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us here today. Now, as we think about joy, where, where can joy be found? As we think about that, you may have loads of different answers to that question. Where can I find joy today? You might say to me, John, I can find joy in the neighbor's lamb coming up for sale and maybe having enough money to be able to purchase it. You might say to me, John, I find joy if we're able to go on a holiday, potentially, maybe sometime in the future. Maybe we'll have joy if you're a little bit younger here today and you pass an exam or you pass a test or you pass a driving test. Maybe we can find joy in lots of different places and other halves and in lots of different things, right? We can find joy or try to find joy. But actually, if we're looking for joy in the world, joy often escapes us. We think we have it and then it, it escapes our grasp. And so there's a famous Hollywood actor called Matthew McConaughey and Matthew McConaughey has written a book, and it's called Green Lights. And this is what he concludes about life. He's trying to find joy and meaning in life. He's trying to find his purpose in life. And this is what he says. What's it all about? I've found celestial suggestions. I've made associations. I've heard many voices. 
I have dealt with the reality by literally chasing down my dreams. I have rented, I have had flings, hobbies, I have chased butterflies to who knows where, all stops and no stays on my resume road to where I am today. I have found possessions, laws, relationships, careers, a wife and family. We don't live longer when we, we try not to die. We live longer when we're too busy living. So if you're able to understand that and unpick it, fair play to you. It's a load of words. It's trying to find joy. It's trying to find the meaning of life. And it escapes him. It's like a butterfly. It ducks and it weaves. He can't quite grasp but He chases it down. And at the end of it all, he only has some sentiment to put down on a, on a page. He's like a man fumbling around in the dark. And it's not our world, isn't it? As we look out to the people around us, they're looking for joy, they're looking for meaning to life, they're fumbling around in the dark, and coronavirus has proved that. All the things that people have their hope in, their dreams in, their joy in, taken away from them. But what about us here today? As Christian people, we should have joy. As we come into this place Sunday after Sunday, as we gather for worship under the sound of the world, where there should be joy in us, joy in our fellowship. So where does that come from? If we're saying that we have joy, that we're different than the world, where can we find this? How can we be a joyful people? How can we be unshakable in the most difficult of times? And why are Christians supposed to be joyful people? But I hope we, find, we will find our answer today in Philippians chapter 1. If you have it there, please do keep it open with me. Philippians chapter 1, where are we going to find our joy? Well, Paul and Timothy, verse 1, are servants of Jesus. And then in verse, uh, in verse 1 as well, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus. So of Christ and in Christ. What Paul is going to explain here is that our joy is founded in Jesus and in him alone. And as Christian people, we are united to Jesus. It's a doctrine called the union to Christ. And we're going to apply that. We're going to think about it. What does union, of Christ, union to Christ actually mean for us today? So Paul's writing this letter. He's in jail. He's in Rome in jail. It's around 62 AD. He's writing at the Philippi. The, this little church, uh, Philippi, was founded in Acts 16. Lydia is converted there. And then the Philippian jailers converted and Paul's writing back to this little church. This little church is planted about 10 miles from the coast. It's a, it's a nice place. It's the, it's the place that all the Roman soldiers go to retire. It's a little bit like Port Stewart or Port Rush for Presbyterian ministers. That's where everyone seems to flock to, right? And it's a lovely place. And this little church has been established. And Paul writes back to it. And he encourages them. This is a letter founded in joy and about joy. But as we'll see today, it's first and foremost in Jesus. Paul will say in chapter 1 and verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He'll go on in chapter 3 to say everything is rubbish apart from knowing Jesus. Paul understands this. He can say that I can be content in all things. How can we say that? Well, it's only through this doctrine of union to Christ. So I want us to know today that joy can be experienced by each and every one of us here. It's not just an abstract thing that's distant and out there, but we can each know joy in our own minds and in our own hearts through Jesus. You can live a joy-filled life, and that's 
very different than fleeting happiness. It's not just coming into this place and saying, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing well. And you, you sort of put a smile on things and you pretend to be happy. Joy is so much deeper than that. One commentator describes it like this. It is the good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. This feeling in our soul, this deep feeling in our soul brought about by the Holy Spirit as we see the beauty of Christ in the word and then in the world. So today we need to know that our Christian joy flows completely out of and is contained wholly in our union to Christ. Joy, true joy, cannot be experienced outside of Jesus. So if you're here today and you're looking for it in other places, you need to know that you will never experience true joy apart from in Jesus and in him alone. So our joy flows out of union to Christ. Well, what does it mean today to be united to Jesus? Well, I was, I was thinking about this and I thought of the illustration of the, the school sports day. Whenever you're back in primary school and you're having your sports day, I dreaded the sports day at my primary school. It was Richmond Primary School. I was a really chunky kid. Every year I put on a stone because they fed me two well school dinners. And uh, whenever it was 10, it was 10 stone, 11, 11 stone. The doctor said to me, at about 14, he was like, Joel, this going to have to stop. That's what happens whenever you get a wee bit older. But every year I put on a stone. I was a big kid. I was a chunky kid. I liked my first and seconds and thirds. Mrs. Edgar and Mrs. Wilson were always delighted to see me because they knew that they'd get rid of their food uh, at dinner time. But that was a good thing for rugby, not a good thing for athletics, not a good thing for the school sports day. And no one wanted to be in the three-legged race with me in the school sports day because no one wanted to be tied to the big, chunky, overweight kid. We may not lose, but we certainly wouldn't win. Well, spiritually speaking today, we are in a three-legged race. We are tied to someone, and there's only two options here. We're either tied to Satan and to sin and to death, and that's our default position from birth. And that means that we're destined for judgment and eternal destruction. Or we are united to Jesus. We're tied to Jesus. And we're united to Jesus by faith. We repent and then we believe. And therefore today, if you're a Christian here, you need to know that our sins are atoned for that it is finished, that we are a justified people, that we are adopted people, that we are sanctified, that we are glorified, and we are united to Jesus. And that changes everything for us. The Bible would say that we are grafted into, united to, implanted into, part of, wedded to Jesus. And so being united to Jesus, another way of saying that in shorthand is that I'm saved that I'm born again, that I'm forgiven, that I'm eternally secure in the Father's hand because this union cannot be broken. Unlike the three-legged race where you can undo the rope at the end of the race. You can't undo this rope. Once you're in Jesus, you're a part of him. You're in fellowship with him. He gives the Holy Spirit to us irrevocably. That means he can't take it back. He is in us. We are with him forever. And so we have this restored relationship with our Father that once was broken. Now we're back in a restored relationship with the resurrection power of Jesus flowing through us. See, we read out earlier that we were once dead and now we're alive. We were once in darkness and now we're in his wonderful light. 
And so Paul's going to show this here in two ways. In verse 1, we are servants of Christ and we are in Christ. If you go away with anything today, go away with those words. I am of Jesus and I am in Jesus. Here he writes about Paul and Timothy, himself and Timothy. He's showing that he is a servant of Christ. He'll go on, if you have your Bible there, he'll, he'll explain this further. In chapter 1, he'll talk about Christ, how Christ came and how he died for people. How he emptied himself of who he was. He was humble. He came, and sorry, in, in chapter 2, verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. He humbled himself to obedience of death on the cross, being obedient to death on the cross. And so Paul here reaffirms this church. He says, look, we are just like servants of who you are. We are servants of Christ, and we are all servants together, living lives that is worthy of the gospel. Well, what does it mean to be a servant of Christ? Well, in this context, it could be translated as slave. To be a slave in this day meant that you were under your master's rule. You were your master's piece of authority or, or piece of property. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't do anything. The, the master owned you. You had no rights. You were entirely dependent upon him. And so what Paul is saying is just like that is what happens in the world setting. Well, now we have been transferred into Jesus. He's the master. He's the one that we serve. He's our, our, our owner as such. We're his piece of property. And that's not a limiting thing. We don't need to think of that as a bad thing. To be a servant of Christ is the most freeing thing ever. He has saved us. He's opened up the chains and set us free to go and to live and to enjoy him and to serve him in this world. And so we are servants of. And that means for us here in this place that as you come along week after week as you worship in this place that you're not a, a spiritual hoover as such just consuming but as part of this church family you serve. You serve the Lord. And then secondly to all the saints verse 1 in Christ Jesus. Here at Philippi see this word in. This is our union to Christ. We are in him. So Paul is making it really clear for the believers that this is a, a declaration of who they are, of who himself and Timothy are, and who the church are. They are in Jesus. And so too for us, we are in Jesus. One of the Puritans writes this about union to Christ. He says this, It is the cause of all our graces that we are made partakers of they are all communicated to us by virtue of our union to Christ. What he's saying is everything in the Christian life, every good thing that comes to us, flows directly out of our union to Jesus. It's how we can worship. It's how we can come along here. It's how we can gather in this place. It's how we can admit members to this church family. Because of our union to Christ. And that is what unites us. We are united to him. And therefore, we're united to each other. Union to Christ is the foundation of all of our spiritual experiences. And it gives us confidence and strength, comfort and joy today. And so this is the truth that we want to mind. Union to Christ. Keep thinking about what that means for you. Through today and this week and for the rest of your lives, what does it mean to be united to Jesus? Because whenever we understand it, then our true joy flows out from this. Whenever we see who we are in Jesus, it changes our lives. So we need to know this. 
that true joy, true joy is not dependent upon our earthly circumstances. Instead, it rests upon our unchanging relationship with the Lord. You might say to me, John, you don't know what I'm facing today. You don't know what pressure I'm under. You don't know what trouble there is in our family. You don't know the illness that we're facing. You don't know the test results that I'm waiting on. You don't know the results that I just got. Friends, what a privilege today that our true joy is not dependent upon our earthly circumstances, but it rests unchanging upon the relationship with the Lord. And so it's great cause for joy. As we try to reach out to the people that live around here, to the people that live in the houses around you, to your neighbours, to friends and relatives in your family that don't yet know Jesus, whenever they come into this place, what do we want them to see? I'm minister in Lurgan, Lurg so I can say this. We don't want to see people, whenever we don't have our masks on, that have faces like Lurgan spades, so to speak, right? We want to see people who have been transformed by Jesus. That their hearts have been transformed and that that informs their faces and, it, and we show it who we are, that we have a deep joy. And as we gather to worship and exalt the name of Jesus, as we gather to magnify his name and exalt him in this place, that people come amongst us and they say, that's unbelievable. The sweetness that, that the people have in this place, there's something different about them. There's a joy in them that's not like the world. And so we point them towards our Savior. Perhaps today you're thinking, I, I can't see this through. John, you're talking about joy. I, I'm, I'm in a really bad place. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, Paul writes to this church and he says, if you're feeling a little bit shaky, if you're unsure about your union to Christ, I am sure of this, he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. What a privilege today that our salvation doesn't rely or rest upon us. Because if it was down to us, we would lose it. But it's down to the Lord. We are saved and we are secure. And so this doctrine today acts like a stabilizing post to us in our faith. It stabilizes us in the wind of this world. So I want to run through some practical ways that this applies in our life. Sometimes we can talk about doctrine and it can be in our heads. We have the knowledge, but how does it actually work out in our lives? How does it change our day-to-day -day living? What does it do in our hearts? Well, perhaps today you feel like you've messed up, that God doesn't want to know you anymore, that you've sinned and you've sinned again. Well, you need to know today, if you're a believer, that you are united to Jesus forever. You're his son and daughter. When you think God's tender heart with you has grown a little cold, that he's a little slower to forgive you, you need to know that this eternal union with you and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is forever. If you're in Christ, and if you're troubled and you're worried that you've ruined your salvation, you need to know that your waywardness does not threaten your place in the love of God. Christ came and he died for you. He calls you to come back to him and to repent. It doesn't mean that the avenue has been shut off, that he's grown tired of you. There is enough grace and mercy for each of us. What about our feelings? Remember you're saying to me, John, the last year has been awful for me in my faith. I feel like Jesus is so far away. I feel like God is so distant from me. 
I don't feel like he's near. But we need to not focus on our feelings today. Our feelings are all over the place. Instead, we need to focus on fact and what we know and what the Bible tells us. And it tells us that God has not and will not remove himself from us. That the heart of Jesus is gentle and lowly. He came here to save you while you were still a sinner. And therefore, being united to him is a forever thing. What about whenever Satan brings remembrance of old sin? He loves to do that, doesn't he? Now it's to throw old sin up to you. You, you, can't, you can't live as a joy-filled Christian. You can't reach out to the people around here. You can't speak to your brother or your sister or that family member about Jesus and about who he is because of the sin you've committed. Whenever Satan brings old sin to remembrance, whenever he tries to condemn us, we need to remember that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And therefore there's no condemnation for us, Romans 8.1. When you feel like you can't keep going, Jesus' love will sustain you, brothers and sisters. What about in the depths of depression? If you're here today and you're struggling with depression, well, you need to know that union to Christ changes everything because it tells us that we are held in the Father's hand and that no darkness can hide his love. You're still united to Jesus. If you're anxious today, if your anxiety cripples you each and every morning that you wake up, you need to know that Jesus, the King of Kings, is the one that you are united to, the one who has shaped history, who is sovereign and in control of all things, and therefore you do not need to fear what lies ahead in the day. But what about whenever we're successful? It's maybe actually harder to think about this. Whenever everything's going well, whenever life's going well, whenever the business is going well, whenever the work's going well, everything's going well. Well, whenever that's happening, we still need to remember that we're united to Jesus, that every good gift, James chapter 1 says, comes from him, that it's his blessing to our lives. When we're breezing through life, we need to remember that our source of joy is not in the bank account. That can be hard to do. It's not in our health. It's not in our relationships. The source of joy is still Jesus. It will always be Jesus. It will only be Jesus. What about whenever temptation comes? Which will happen for us either today or tomorrow. Well, in our moments of temptation, we need to remember that we are in Jesus and therefore we are new citizens. We are citizens of the heavenly kingdom and therefore we are not slaves to sin any longer. So we all know this. The world is riddled with despair. We put on our news, it's despair after despair. There's no hope. It's filled with bad news. But for us here today, as Christian people, we are united to Jesus and therefore we have a reason to be filled with joy. If you're here today and you're not united to Jesus and you're searching for joy, you're looking for it in all the dark alleyways of this world, you will not find it. Come to him today. I invite you to come to him. To experience this joy, to be united to him forever. So friends, as we close, we need to know that Christian joy is attractive. And therefore we need to work hard at this. We won't just fall into our laps. We won't just uh, someday wake up and think, oh, uh, I'm filled with joy today. We need to actually mine this. That's hard work. Mine the, this letter of Philippians, but in particular these opening verses to see who we are. Christian joy 
It's not based upon what I do. Instead, our joy today is found in who I am, who you are, who we are. The joy of this church is not based upon our buildings. It's not based upon how much money we have in the bank account. Our joy here today is based upon who we are in Jesus and in him alone. Close with this. A few weeks ago, I went for a walk with my dad. My dad is not used to Belfast. He's a log all ported out man. He only ever drives his lorry round or through Belfast. But I decided we'd go for a walk in Belfast. We went down to Botanic Gardens. And in Botanic Gardens, there are the most beautiful trees and flowers and plants. And we were able to go around, and they're all labelled. So we were going around, spending ages looking at all these different trees and plants and talking about them. And then we came to this one huge tree that had toppled over. And as it had fell over, it had destroyed this fence and bust up a curb. And Dad we were saying, wonder what happened. It's such a random place for this big tree to fall. All the other trees were fine. And very quickly, we could see the problem. The problem was the tree's roots. Its roots were, were shallow. They were not deep. They were not wide. They were tiny roots. And the roots had given the tree up. Whenever a strong wind had came, it just toppled over. What about us, right? Where are our roots here today? Because whenever the difficulties come, whenever the winds of this world come, we will be blown over if we do not have our roots secure. Well, as Christian people, our roots should be in this doctrine of union to Christ. It's, it's rich soil today that we can put our roots deep down into. All of these things that float us, our justification, deemed right with Jesus, our sanctification being made holy, adopted brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, all of these things flow to us because of union to Christ. Isn't it great today, friends, that we have joy? Joy that doesn't depend upon ourselves, but our joy is based and secure in Jesus here today. I trust the Lord will bless his words to us. And as we reflect on his words, let us just bow in prayer. Let us respond in prayer and come before him.